sound in your ear. Be seated, please. Well, thank you, Brother Ed, for leading us in worship this morning, for the songs that you have selected, for Brother Chuck, that wonderful communion thought that puts us into a great space when considering what the Lord Jesus Christ did on our behalf. We're so appreciative of you. I want to say good morning and welcome to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. It's actually a, a bittersweet day is what it is. We have some of our, our very favorite families leaving today, uh, so we're saddened by that. Gene, don't go. You're not allowed to go. Um, but we're, we're thankful nonetheless that we have uh, enjoyed our time together with you and getting to know many of you and, and fellowshipping with you, and we know God has a, a purpose and a plan for you in other places, so, uh, but you're going to be greatly missed, greatly, greatly missed. Um, so if you're visiting with us this morning, we want to let you know every single Sunday, we always say this, that you are our honored guest, and you're always welcome to this church building whenever the doors are open. And we truly, truly believe that. We also have a fellowship luncheon prepared. We'd love for you to stay for that. So we're so thankful and appreciative that you're here, and we believe you've come to the right place. We really believe that, because I don't think you'll find a finer church in all of the universe. It's true. It's true. So, <laughs> so I hope and pray that you had a great time at the Angels game yesterday. By the way, who, who won yesterday? Was it? Oh, it was Oakland. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I, hey, hey, hey. But I hope you had a good time. I'm sorry we weren't able to attend. We, uh, we were at a, uh, a concert last night at the Cypress Church of Christ doing a, a performance there. So um, happy that my brother is here with us this morning. Uh, Jeremy is here with me. This is, oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is uh, my younger brother. He lives out in Apple Valley, Apple Valley, where it was 122 degrees the other day. Uh, so he's here with us this morning, so I'm happy to see uh, him with us. So it's a blessing. So this morning, we're going to continue on in our sermon series on the book of 1 Peter. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out and be prepared to study along with us this morning. We've been looking at this book for the past uh, two Sundays. We did a Father's Day lesson last week, and we're going to conclude today with looking at chapters 4 and 5. And I would encourage you, if you haven't already read through this book. This is a really good book. It's a really straightforward read, and I guarantee you that it will bless your life. And I gave you the thesis, in my opinion, of 1 Peter. And if you remember the thesis, I said the thesis, in my opinion, is the holy living church, right? If you look throughout this entire book, we see these themes of, of how do we remain sanctified? How do we remain holy when we live in a world that is unsanctified and unholy. So if you recall in chapter 1, we see Paul or Peter offering greetings to the various churches in the Roman provinces. He describes the blessing of a life of faith in Jesus Christ during times of persecution and hardship. And he tells his, his readers and the disciples there to make sure you remain holy even though the world around you is not very holy. And then we looked at chapters 2 and 3. And in chapters 2 and 3, we see Peter encouraging his readers to keep their example in spite of 
injustice, to keep their examples instead of, in spite of injustice. So, so today we're going to conclude our study on this book by looking at chapters 4 and 5. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to read along with me. We're going to start uh, at verse number 1 of chapter 4, and it's not up on the screen, but we're going to finish actually with uh, verse number 4, okay? So follow along with me in your Bibles as we study this together. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse number 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, lasciviousness, carousing, and detestable idolatry. And then we get to verse number four. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. If this is your first time with us this morning and you're just now arriving into this series, I just kind of want to give you some historical background uh, before we begin to, to kind of set the context and the stage. First of all, what I want you to know this morning is this. When you're prepared, when you're prepared to experience difficulties, you can get through them. The reason why we struggle in difficulties oftentimes is because we're just not prepared. And if you think about our existence today, especially during this season in California, what we're hearing a lot about is fire preparation, right? So we know that fires are going to happen, and since we know this during this time of year, we can prepare so when they come, we'll be able to navigate when they approach, right? Typically, when we're caught off guard and we're experiencing difficulties, we have a much harder time getting through them. So in 1 Peter, the context is this. Um, the Christians at this time were experiencing great suffering under the rule of Domitian, who was the Roman emperor at the time. He thought that he was a type of God figure. He thought he was God's gift to the world, and he wanted everybody to love and to admire him. Remember, we talked about this. But he was really a tyrant who persecuted any people groups in the Roman province who, who didn't fall down and worship the ground that he walked on. He was a tyrant. And Christians were a, pult, a part of this religious cult uh, that Domitian really, really didn't care for. And there, there, there was this thought going around that this Christian organization, this Christian group, was coming in to overthrow the, the established government that, that, that was in existence. So, so we think about all of this, and we, we think about some of the ways that Christians were treated. Domitian was a really bad dude, right? And people hated him so much that he was assassinated while holding office by the very court officials that he was leading. So as we read through this material, chapters 4 and 5, I want you to keep that in your remembrance and kind of consider the cultural experience, and I think it'll help us make sense uh, of some of these verses. 
So in your, in your sermon or in your bulletin, you have a sermon outline. I would really encourage you to take that out. And you can follow along with us this morning and fill out the words that are highlighted in red. And I think it will really bless your life. People in the world think it's strange that we don't live in a perpetual state of wasting away because of the struggles of life. You all know this. People think it's strange that we don't live in a perpetual state of wasting away. They think it's strange that when we encounter hardships, we don't drown ourselves in booze, but we drown ourselves in prayer. People think it's strange that our medication is the Word of God and we find enjoyment among the presence of the saints. You see, that's difficult for some people to understand because culturally, what we're all supposed to do is YOLO. You only live once, so enjoy life because we're all going to die. So we might as well enjoy ourselves while we're here. And for the Christian, we're often marginalized because we don't live that way and in that form. So the question that I want to pose this morning as we look at this next passage, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 8 is... Uh, how do we live amongst people groups like this, right? Think about Domitian. Think about the context of the Christians at this point experiencing hardships. They were marginalized, so forth and so on. They were being made fun of because they didn't follow the cultural norms during the time of persecution. You go do this. You don't, you don't pray. You don't read the Bible, right? So the question is, how should a Christian live with all this in mind? First, Peter chapter 4 and verse number 8 is a powerful, powerful text. It says this, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. So the question here is this, how can we learn to love people in the world that marginalize us because of our faith? What does love have to say about that? So if you look on your outlines, we have a question, and the question is, what does love say? And I'm going to tell you what love says. First of all, I believe that love says, I will be patient, right? If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what's the first thing that love is? Love is patient, right? Love is patient. So Christians, we have to be some of the most patient people the world will ever know. But in the culture we live in, it's hard to be patient. You know, I, I fuss often about this lady, but I've come to love her. It's not my wife, okay? I wouldn't, it's not my wife. I have a neighbor. Um, she must be like uh, 87 years old, okay? Uh, she has three corgis, Alicia, three. And all of them are like probably 102 in dog years, okay? She walks her three corgis past my house every single morning. And if you see an old corgi, it, it, it's, it's a sight to see. First of all, they move slower than snails, right? They're so low to the ground that they just, it looks like, you know, and they're all obese, right? Three of them. And she walks her dogs the same time every single morning as we're trying to take the kids to school, right? So this lady is a senior, and she has three corgis that are seniors. And typically what happens for us with young families, we're always late on the way to school, 
in the morning. Every single morning, this lady walks behind our car. And we have to wait for her, and then corgi number one, corgi number two, and then corgi number three is always the last one. And before they cross our car, usually they take a pit stop in our front yard to take a restroom break. Does our neighbor, who's a senior, feel it necessary to clean up after the dogs? No! Why do that? They just continue to do that, so she lets them use the bathroom, and then she continues on. This happens every single morning. One day I got fed up. So I went out, and I said, ma'am! And she looked at me, and she smiled at me, and I said, I love the fact that you just walk your three dogs in the, in the morning. And I talked to her that day, right? You know, when we learn to love people, we can be patient with them, despite what's going on, right? So I have two pooper scoopers, right? And I just take care of her stuff, and, and, and we go on about our business, and that's kind of what we do. Hopefully I'll get her to come to church one day, right? Love is patient. So when you're able to be patient, love says, I'm going to be patient. And when you're able to be patient with people, it covers up offenses or wrongdoings, right? Love is patient, and if we can just get in the mindset of being patient with people in the world, my goodness, might they be able to see Christ? I would hope so. What else does love say? Love says, I will forgive and forget. Love says, I will forgive and forget. You know, I've, I've heard preachers preach this many, many, many times. I've heard people in the church say this. You know, when someone has offended me, it's like they took a razor and cut me, right? And, and over time, the cut heals, but there'll always be a scar. And when I look down at the scar, I'll always remember, right? And I've also heard the sermons where, you know, when we hurt someone's feelings or we offend somebody, it's like taking a piece of paper and ripping it into a thousand pieces and then going to the top of Mount Everest and letting those pieces of paper fly all over the place. You can never collect them back up ever again, right? But what I read about when it comes to love is love says, hey, no matter what happens, we're going to forgive and we're going to forget and everything is going to be all good completely restored and repaired. That's the power of love. That's what love does. So when we encounter people in the world that offend us or hurt us, or even within the church, we say, hey, it happens. Things happen. So we're going to forgive and we're going to forget and we're going to move forward. Love says you hurt me, but we can get through this together. You know, I'm guilty. I watch reality TV from time to time. Okay. Thank you, Amanda. At least you do too. Um, on some of these television shows, I find it so interesting that people can meet, and within two weeks, they say they have fallen in love with each other. I'm not telling you what shows I watch, but it's amazing how after two weeks, they can fall in love with each other, right? And then they're in the tabloids or on the magazines or getting ready to get engaged, and then the next week, it's over. And I'm going, wow, I think the world has a misunderstanding of what love is, right? Because you remember when you got married to your spouse, what did you say? You said, I love you, and I'm loving you for life. And that means in good times or bad times, I'll be on your side forevermore, <laughs> right? Um, in, in, in richer or poor, 
in sickness, in health, until death do us part, right? So since we said that, if we hurt each other's feelings, which we do from time to time, we say we can forget that and, and, and move on, right? That's what love is, and that's what the world needs to experience from us as disciples, right? In the midst of this, this difficult time that we live in. What else does love say? Love also says, I will move forward. You know, I keep thinking about um, what's going on in the world today with all the mass shootings. It, it sickens me, right? First of all, I'm going to get on my tangent. I don't know why a civilian needs an AR-15. I, I have no idea. Now, that's just my, I'll be quiet, because some of you guys are gun owners, and some of you probably have a couple, but you know, um, that's just me. And, and it sickens me, because I am in the military, I know what those weapons are created for and what they're capable of, and then you look around the world today, you see all these mass shootings, right? The Pulse nightclub, this, that. And, and the one that I was recently thinking about was the shooting in San Bernardino, which is really close to where my brother lives, right? Someone went in there. A father got up that morning, kissed their daughter, kissed their wife, and went to work. And that was the last time that their family saw them alive right? Someone's son or someone's daughter went there, went to work that day, and that was the last time their family was going to see them alive. I don't know how I would be able to move forward if that happened to somebody in my life, a family, a friend, or a loved one. I don't know if I'd be able to move forward, but guess what? That building in San Bernardino is still open, and people are going to work there tomorrow, right? I think about the World Trade Centers. They were torn down. They were rebuilt, right? Just think about all of that. And what it tells me is that love helps us to move forward, even though it's been difficult and hard. You see, love always wins. Hate doesn't win. Love always wins. So when we say, I will move forward, what we're saying is Satan is not going to keep me here in this place. He's not going to stop me. And I think that's what the writer of 1 Peter here is saying. Uh, Peter saying, look, 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 we live in this world. We've got to do this. We've got to follow this. And then lastly, love says, I will never quit. I will never quit. Uh, my brother's here, so I get to fuss a little bit. Me and my brother were the best of friends growing up. We still are really, really tight. But you know, if you're really close in age to your sibling your frenemies. You know, what a, you know what a frenemy is? Your friend and an enemy at the same time, right? Frenemies. Uh, there was a time where uh, I was in high school and I was finally making my own money. I believe I was working at Old Navy or something like that and uh, uh, I was a greeter at the door and they used to play the music so when people walked in I would dance and have a bag for them, right? And, and I loved that job because all I had to do was dance and, you know, and I did that for a few hours or whatever. I used to buy my own clothes at that point. I was independent from mom and dad, right? So I finally found this shirt that I loved, that I loved. And uh, it was a, I, this is going to date me and sound bad, it was a Wu-Tang Clan shirt. I don't know if you know who that is or what that's about. Oh, some of you do. I'm surprised. It has a big W on it. I love the shirt. And I was going to wear it to school the next day. I ironed it. I prepped it, right? And uh, I put it in my closet. And I went into my closet, and I couldn't find my shirt, right? And I thought I had left it somewhere in the car, so I said, ah, I'm not going to worry about it. I'll just leave it alone. Lo and behold, my brother had my shirt on, right? 
And that day at school, he decided to play flag football. Lo and behold, that shirt got ripped. Instead of telling me about that, he went and put the shirt back in the closet. And I walk in to go put it on, there's a hole in my shirt, right? It took me a while to get over that, right? But then he didn't stop doing it. He used to always go in my closet and take my stuff and do it over and over and over and over and over again, right? And I would do similar things to him. We're not going to talk about my stuff. We're just fussing at him this morning. But when you love someone, you never quit loving them no matter what happens, right? Never quit. And that's the relationship my brother and I have. We, we never stop loving each other no matter what the offense, no matter what happens. And that's what the world needs to see from the church. This is what love is. So I want to look at a couple of more passages and then we'll be the, uh, complete this morning. First Peter chapter 4, 14 and 15. And remember, again, the context in which Peter is writing. He says, look, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. I really want our young people in the auditorium this morning to really pay attention to this verse. I really want you to pay attention to this verse. When you don't move in the same direction of the culture, you're going to be made fun of, you're going to be insulted. But you take joy in that. You take pride in that. Because you're a leader. You love the Lord. So don't get discouraged by that when you're insulted for making the right decisions. And if you do suffer, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even a meddler. It shouldn't be self-inflicted. You know what a self-inflicted wound is? You know what a self-inflicted wound is? Um, so here we go. I get to, This is just great. So just hang with me today, okay? Because I'm fussing at my brother because I only get him here every, every so often, okay? So uh, my brother had some shorts on yesterday, and he had cuts all up on his shin. I mean, big gashes. I was like, Jeremy, what are you doing? What is, why do you have all those cuts on? He works with pallets, right? He works in a warehouse. And every time he moves a pallet, he hits himself in the shin. Bam, right? And then on the other side, bam. That's a self-inflicted wound. I said, Jeremy, you're hurting yourself while you're working, right? You need to wear some shin guards or some pants or something like that, right? That's what it, we, we shouldn't suffer as a result of our own doing, but if we are going to suffer, it should be for the cause of Christ, right? That's what he's saying here. And the next passage, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. And in the beginning of chapter 5, he talks about relationships within the church, uh, and then he transitions to say, look, hey, everyone in the church, this is chapter 5, if we can remain humble and work together, we, we can do some amazing things. This is a powerful verse. If you haven't highlighted it, or underlined it in your Bible, I would encourage you to do so. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast, I love this one, I love this one, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's a powerful one, church. Cast all your anxiety. Um, show of hands, how many fishermen do we have in here? Or fisherwomen? Fishermen. Very good, very good, very good. Very good. One of the greatest joys of fishing, even if you're not catching anything, is seeing how far you can cast, isn't it? It's just me. It's just, don't you love it when you put that and you can cast it way out there and you wait for a while? You're like, yeah, that was a good one. That was a really good one, right? And you're like, <laughs> even if you're out there by yourself, you look to see if people saw that cast, right? 
that was, that was a good one, right? Or if you're looking at a direction and you want to get it under that log or next to that tree and you can get it right there, it's powerful. You're like, yes, look at that cast. But if you're a fisherman, you also know that the heavier sinker you have on or the heavier weight, typically the farther you can cast, right? The heavier sinker or the heavier weight, the further you can cast it away from you. And that's what I love about this text. Whatever we're going through, we can cast it far from us. And some of the heavier stuff that we deal with, the scripture says, we need to cast it, throw it to God, and he can take care of it. And I love that imagery. I love that thought process. Some of us are carrying some heavy, heavy stuff. Scripture says, throw it away, cast it way out there, give it to God, let him handle, let him handle it, and he can take care of it for you. And then lastly, we, we close with a, a very powerful uh, text that we have all studied growing up, no doubt, if you've been a part of this fellowship for a long time. I want you to underline and highlight this one. This is one of my favorite passages. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And then the beginning of verse number 9, resist him. Uh, so again, in thinking of, of, of the context and, and completing this book of 1 Peter, the church was going through some tough times. They were receiving persecution. They were suffering, and, and, and they were receiving injustice. And it's easy to get bitter. It's easy to get upset. It's easy to get angry. But Peter's remedy, look, is you love everybody, and you resist Satan, and everybody be humble and work together, and God can do some powerful things in your life. And he closes with this. Be mindful that... Satan is like a roaring lion, the devil. So I want to I leave you, if you're looking on your outline, um, it says, great sermon, now what? I want to leave you with some practical application for this week before we close. And I, and I only have two points this morning. Usually I try to end with three. I've got two points this morning that I think will help us uh, execute some of these principles that we're, we're learning this morning, okay? Um, the first point is this, and, I, and I'm, I'm just going gonna, gonna to be frank. Um, one of the things that we need to practice in thinking about this text and thinking about this chapter is we need to have the discipline of calling out Satan, right? Here's what I used to do. In college, I had a, a roommate. His name was Josh Davidson. And we would study the scripture together and we'd talk about texts that were really powerful. One of the texts that we used to look at is, is Jesus' temptation. Um, right, when he was in the wilderness and Satan came up and he tempted him with stuff and he, you know what his response was, get thee hence Satan. So while my buddy and I were in college, when we used to see evil temptations come our way, we'd say it out loud, get thee hence Satan. And it became actually a joke at Harding. So we used to go around and say that when we saw evil, right? When we would see evil, we'd say, get the hints. I even say it now. You know, I'm on the little South Beach diet, and a Layla wants to offer me a big uh, coffee roll. You know what I say? Get the hints, Satan, right? That temptation doesn't need to be my way. And we make it a funny joke, and it's really a funny thing, but it does help us. I would encourage you this week, if Satan is trying to tempt you with something, call him out, say it out loud, get the hints, Satan. You'll be surprised what it does. And you don't have to say it out loud. People might think you're crazy, but just say it, right? 
But it, 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 helps, it helps me when I see, I was at Comfort Cafe the other day, right? We had two truckloads of Panera bread, and all my favorite items were on that table, the bear claw, everything. Here comes Mary Vaughn. Jason, you might, you might as well get two loaves today, right? And I said, Mary, that's the devil over there, right? That's the devil. And I do that because it gets me in the mindset of, of hey, I need to stay within my goals, and I'm going to call out Satan when I see him trying to tempt me. And for me, it works. Get thee hence Satan. That's what I want you to do this week. When Satan's coming after you with some stuff, and it's wrong, and he's trying to trip you up, say it out loud. Get thee hence Satan. I guarantee you it'll bless your life, right? Lastly, I want you to do this. Um, the scripture also says in this passage that we have to be on alert and have a sober mind. And in order to have a sober mind or have sobriety, what that means is that your mind has to be clear. It can't be intoxicated with things. You have to have clear thinking. In order for Jesus to keep his mind clear, you know what he would do when he was going through hard times. Scripture said he would find a quiet place to pray or find a place of solitude. And for Jesus, a lot of times it was a mountain or a mountainside or a mountaintop. So what I want you to do this week is when you're being tested and you're being tempted, I want you to keep your mind clear and self-control. In order to do that, I think you have to have your mountaintop. So this morning what I want you to do is I want you to think about what your mountaintop is. Whenever you're going through hard times or you're being tempted and, and, and you're going through a struggle, where is your mountaintop or your mountainside? You see, for me, when I'm experiencing hardships and temptations and difficulties, me, I turn on the golf channel. I don't know why. It solves all the problems. It's quiet, right? And you could just sit there and you hear the wind, <laughs> and, and it helps. Or my other place is in the car. If I just go for a drive in the car, I'm able to clear my thoughts and my mind to get my wits about me. So sometimes I'll just hop in the car and just go drive and I'll pray and that's my mountaintop experience and it helps me to be self-controlled and helps me to say, hey, I can get through anything. So church this morning, I would encourage you to have a mountaintop or a place where you can go when you're at your last breaking point and you can say, hey, this is, this is where I'm going to meet Jesus and this is where he can help me through this. So by way of invitation this morning, as we close, we've got a song selected. Um, if there's anyone here that needs to respond to the message this morning, uh, maybe the world has been heavy on your shoulders, maybe you've been experiencing difficulties, we've got a, a, a different, uh, definite opportunity for you to come forward today. We'll have some of our shepherds up in the front. Some will be in the back. If you need prayer, come forward. We'll pray with you, or you can go to the back. We'll pray, pray for you. If you want to put the Lord Jesus Christ on in baptism this morning, we always have that opportunity for you today. You can come forward and you can be baptized in water today and be added to the kingdom and be on the, a, a right trajectory in service to the king. So whatever your needs or concerns are, we would encourage you to come. Don't delay. You can do it today. Whatever your needs or concerns are, come together while we stand and sing the song of invitation. Savior calling, I can hear.